<laughs> my homeboy got mad at me. Now he ain't talking to me. Because we in the club, and he trying to talk to these women, but he married. And I told him, hey, bro, you need to cut that out. He told me, man, why you hating, bro? I ain't hating. I ain't tell you to walk down that aisle. I ain't tell you introduce me to this woman and you go get that ring on your finger. Got me out on this wedding, spending all this money to come to y'all wedding to watch you come in, in this club and cheat and mess it all up. That's my money I spent on your wedding. I spent my money on your wedding. And I spent a lot of it, too. We all in Vegas and all of that, all these casinos, and I'm spending all of my money. Now nah, y'all stand together. You the one introduced me to this lady. Got me calling her sis all the time and Oh, I'm not going to be lying in this woman's face. Boy, you better go get you a drink. I'll pay for it. Get you a drink and sit down somewhere, bro, because you ain't finna. No, nah, I spent too much money on y'all wedding. Hey, what's up? Happy Friday, Hung Up Pod family. Welcome to another episode of the Hung Up Podcast, a Philly-based culture and society podcast from a Black-ass queer perspective. I am your host and producer of this here show, Eric Cole, aka Life Coach Eric, BKA Tennis Bay. If you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow and subscribe on any podcast and social media platform by searching at Hunga Pod. That's H-U-N-G-U-P-P-O-D. Tap that bio link to access the Hunga Pod merch store. Also get access to past episodes and Hunga Pod recommendations, like where you can find HIV testing and prep resources here in the city. If you have any questions for the podcast that you want me to read during an episode, feel free to email hunguppod at gmail.com or tap that contact button on the Instagram page. Feel free to contact me also if you would like to collaborate. And sometimes those collaborations happen outside of the podcast space. So I'm open to that too. Candy, my good sis Candice, who, as many of you know, was just on the podcast. Tony and I uh, sat down with Candice Dillard, produced by Marquise Richards, and interviewed her um, here at Philly Pride just a few weeks back. And it was a really good interview. And I hope y'all had a chance to listen to it. And if you haven't, be sure to check it out. It is the last episode. But yeah, Candy Girl, I it's not much I can say because you really had the people fired up Calling that child's graduation tacky. My bad, no. Calling the graduation trend. That over-the-top awards, Met Gala, BET awards looking, you know, car multiple cars out front. Calling the trend tacky. And, and honestly, I think tacky, that word, is what got everyone that fired up. I, I didn't think the response fit the crime. <laughs> but I really think it was it was the word tacky that got everybody fired up because at the end of the day, not everybody agrees with that 
presentation of celebration. And truthfully and honestly, you don't have to. Everything's not for everybody. And there was definitely feelings, thoughts and feelings on both sides of this. And this is coming from other black people within the community. And you saw that in the comments. Some of the people were like, yeah, this is a little bit over the top. This looks like the BET Awards. Not for my kids, but you can have it. And this was a quote retweet from a guy who was saying that he didn't like it. And from what I can remember, he definitely got overwhelming support in that tweet. So again, I think where Candace fell flat was using the word tacky. And when you pull everything else away from it and we just look at the word tacky, the word tacky is really not that bad of a word. It's not nice. I think with this situation, it was the context in in which it was used that offended so many people, especially being that this is tradition in a lot of the hoods and a lot of the black communities. It just doesn't mean everybody has to agree and has to be with. I mean, we say it all the time. Black people are not a monolith. Black people are not a monolith. In practice, do we rarely actually leave space for for that to actually operate and be a real thing? And so sometimes I'm interested in how we engage in these type of conversations and debates online, particularly on Twitter, especially when we say things that aren't true and makes people just get on the hate train. Like people were saying... Everybody know this. Everybody black know this. Everybody black does this. We all like who are these just the new blacks that don't understand what this is and where this comes from. And it's just like, that's not true. That's not a true statement. If you just read the comments from people within the community, you can see varying experiences, varying thoughts and opinions. Many times, not just in this situation, but I just noticed in a lot of these Twitter debates, people argue what the truth is when a lot of times it's just their truth. Because sometimes shit is just the truth, right? Like, DeSantis is a monster. That's just the truth. And then you have situations like this where everyone sort of kind of has their own idea and opinion on what's right and what's wrong. And in situations like this, to me, it just feels like there is no right, there is no wrong. It's just a collective of experiences. But it's also like (laughs) you have to watch how you talk about experiences that you don't personally or culturally or traditionally relate to. Because it was that, too. It wasn't just the word, the use of the word tacky. I think it was also... A little bit of like, well, damn, just because you're not into it, it it was the insensitivity. And that's valid. Don't yuck somebody else's yum. It may not be my cup of tea, but it could absolutely be somebody else's henny straight. And as long as it's not harming me, go for it, baby girl. You got it. I'm hoping maybe Candy can redeem herself. Maybe this storm will pass, shall pass, and we'll see what happens with this next season of Real Housewives coming up. And also, like, check out her album. Her music is good. Fine Wine? That song? I'm sorry. I also like Affirmations. 
the original, honestly, because I'm not really sure how Drew, what she really added to the song. What y'all think? I've listened to the, I feel like, I, yeah, I've listened to the track a few times. Maybe it's because they sound too much alike. Was that it, y'all? I'm gonna have to go back and listen again. And maybe the episode from Real Housewives of Atlanta, the performance that they did together has me a little tainted. Because I was just like, what, what is she really contributing to the track? I liked it how it was, honestly. Shout out to Funky Dineva. I really like him and I'm subscribed to his YouTube channel. Um, if you want to hear from a Floridian in terms of how they're able to live and survive as a, as a black gay LGBTQ member of the community and they're able to live and survive under all that's happening right now under DeSantis, I thought Funky gave a really good breakdown and understanding and explained how Miami is not Florida because he's from he's from Miami because Lord knows me and I'm sure others are out there wondering how people are able to particularly LGBTQ folks women black folks are able to what's their mental space looking like an emotional space looking like day to day just living with everything that's happening right now and while i will say funky dineva's video was great in terms of breaking down how miami is different from florida and how a lot of the things that he's doing at a state level how it doesn't impact miami people miami Dade county residents at the end of the day this man is running for president he already has millions of dollars in support. A lot of people already backing him. And even though I can't believe I'm saying this, I feel like he's worse than Trump. My homie Aaron said he's Trump, but just smart, which is worse, right? <laughs> Walking blackness. And if he gets into the presidency, we're not just talking about Florida versus Miami now. All the things that he's doing in Florida, if he gets into the presidency and he starts doing these things at a federal level, impacting all states, and that whole don't go vote, our black vote doesn't count, is really dangerous. It has been, and it's really dangerous right now. We got to stop this, y'all. At this point, look at Congress. <laughs> DeSantis is running for president. Donald Trump is running for president again. Like, we... Just look around you. What do you mean your vote doesn't count? Like, we got to use common sense, y'all. Life, and particularly for black folks, has gotten increasingly worse over the past decade. And trust, I agree, is not a 100% Republican problem because I know we have... Democrats who really are, especially right now, that are not pushing. And when I talk to people, a lot of folks agree, like, they're not pushing hard enough. They're trying to be nice and meet in the middle with these evil-ass Republicans. And we need leaders who are going to go to bat, who will stand up to these racists that 
are trying to, you can literally see them trying to take over the country. And have you stopped and thought to yourself and imagine what that would be like? And I totally agree with the idea or thought that the root of all of this is white fear. White people know that they're not going to be the majority in this country in a few years. And this is their way of, this is their response to that fear. Trying to cling on to white supremacy and what they feel America should be and what it should look like. And what's really interesting is that you can feel this anger and see it. Even, like, this is obviously, like, a national... So many people get to see it. So many eyes are on the situation. But even within community on a micro level, you are seeing this type of stuff. Look at the TikToks. Look at how these white men and these white women are showing up in public and how angry and pissed that they are. And the fear, and it's really just a, pro- a projection of fear. And you see that. It's so obvious. And it's so on brand because it, over over time, throughout history, white folks' response to fear is usually on some evil shit. People dying, people being killed, something to do with the laws, all kind of crazy laws being passed. And also including suffering of their own people suffer. And they are aware of that, but it's a lot that they don't care about and they turn a blind eye to. All for white supremacy. I think it's white folks out there that are go they go against their own morals, really. Think about it. I, th- I really do. I think it's white folks out there that, in the name of white supremacy, they do it, but it doesn't feel good. But they do it anyway. And that, my friends, is why I don't shy away from this idea that racism is a mental illness. And it really should be... I'm waiting for like a deep dive documentary or not not even a documentary, a study on racism and the damage that it has done, not just monetarily or economically, but environmentally, health wise. Ooh. And honestly, that study is a stepping stone to seeking reparations holding systems and organizations and corporations accountable for the harm that they've caused is not just about getting the check. It's also about making sure that the people that we are electing, the people that we say are leaders getting paid to be somebody's leader or run an organization or corporation doesn't continue to operate in those same systems and in ways that got us here in the first place. Anyway, enough of me running my damn mouth. Let's get into this interview. This week, I have guest Rumaji on the show. Rumaji is a background actor and photographer. I thought that was like an interesting niche of professional career. And it would be cool to have his insight and thoughts on the show. Rumaji, thank you so much for dialing in to the Hunger Podcast. And I hope you all enjoy this talk. What up, what up, what up, Hung Up Pod family? 
please welcome to the Hung Up Hide show, Rumaji. Am I saying that? Am I pronouncing your name right? This is literally the first time that I'm saying it out loud. Um, actor and photographer, Rumaji, welcome to the Hung Up Podcast. Did I pronounce your name right? You did. You did. Rumaji. It's correct. It's correct. It's just my first name backwards, Jamar, and then two eyes, man. Um, what's up? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and I have to um, advocate, give a shout out to my homie, Christian. He's in Dallas, Texas. Um, years ago, when I first got started out with photography, um, he was one of the stylists on a lot of my shoots. And the name of my brand is Ramage Culture. And a lot of times on set, I don't even know how he got started with doing it, but he was just like, oh, Ramage, Ramage, Ramage. And then it kind of just stuck. I was like, oh, I think that's kind of cool. So I just, I've used that as my Instagram name since for like 11 years, really now. What's your sign? I am a Virgo. That's right. I remember you telling me this. I cannot stay away from, I'm like surrounded by Virgos. Hung up by listeners, you know this. <laughs> my entire, you, my my production team for the YouTube show, everybody is, is Virgos. It's like, I literally cannot escape Virgos, but I love y'all. I'm not trying to escape you. Oh, I mean, I always tell people, Michael Jackson and Beyonce, you have no other choice but to love us. <laughs> and the entangler, Jada Pinkett Smith. She's a Virgo? Yes. <laughs> That's my Virgo. I did not know that. Yes. I did not know that. Okay. Welcome, Ramaji, actor and photographer. Welcome to the Hunger Podcast, but please introduce yourself and let the listeners know where they can find and support you on social media. Um, definitely. Well, what's up, everyone in the podcast world? I am Ramaji. Um, my name is Jamar, but Ramaji, you can call me either or background actor and photographer. Find me on Instagram at R-A-M-A-J-I-I. That's my personal Instagram. It's like blog, like, you see all my antics on there, um, background acting work. It's just me living my life. And then you can also check out my photography work on Instagram at Ramaj Culture, which is R-A-M-A-J Culture. Um that's basically it for social media. Um, everything you need to know about me is on those two accounts on Instagram. Okay. All right. And Hung Up Pod listeners, you know, I will put Rumaji's contact information in episode notes. So that way you know where to find him. And trust me, you're going to want to hit up that Instagram page. Um, it's a good time. <laughs> I try to make it a good time. Let's jump right in. Rumaji, we've been introduced to you, background actor, photographer. I read your bio. In your bio, you describe yourself as a 30-something shy nerd. I love that. Residing in Atlanta. And you said photography found you and proved to be a natural evolution and evolution that created Rumaji culture. So first, talk about how photography found Rumaji. What, what did that look like? All right. Well, first I had to correct you. It's Ramaj culture. Ashley Branch. Ramage. You said Ramaji, but oh, I go okay. by Ramaji because of that little nickname. But the brand is Ramaj culture. My photography. Thank you. But um, kudos to you. You actually went to my website and read the bio. That's what's up. <laughs> but um, how did photography find me? Um, it. 
I've always, all my life, I've always been like a creative and artistic person, child. Um, photography found me when I was 18 years old. I was a freshman at Morehouse College here in Atlanta. And um, I had a homie, Mike, who I'm still friends with to this day. And he had like a little digital camera. And I don't know if y'all know, a lot of y'all went to college. I don't know how y'all did in college, but in my freshman year, we would all hang out like in groups of eight, 10 plus, like we used to always roll deep. Yes. So it's a little pocket digital camera. And one day I just picked it up and I'm just was taking photos of all of us out. And one day Mike got on the monkey bars. We were at the park and he kind of flipped upside down and I got that shot. And everybody was like, oh, that's such a dope shot. And then it kind of clicked in my mind, like, oh, I might, you know, I might like to do this. So the following year on my first spring break road trip, the group of friends, uh, we went to all over South Florida. Like it was truly a, um, a road trip. I bought my first pocket digital camera and I was kind of the unofficial historian of the trip. And everyone loved them. Like, I posted them all. I remember this was when Facebook first started allowing photo albums and they were just such a huge hit. And like everyone loved them. Like even now people still refer to those photos. That was like from 2006. They are like, they over time become life defining photos for a lot of us who went down on that trip. Um, So for the next two or three years, I kept just taking photos, like just randomly of me and my friends out and about with pocket digital camera and I would find little photo editing websites to kind of just razzle and dazzle them up a bit. And in 2009, when I moved back home to Charlotte for a little while, I enrolled into a community college there, started taking photography courses. And then I bought my first DSLR and the rest is history. Was that something like, did you know that was going to happen when you picked up that camera? Because you're like, oh, since a kid, since from a kid, like, I'm I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. Or was this kind of like a new awakening for you? Um, photography was definitely a new awakening for me. But just being artistic has always been like I grew up always drawing. Writing really was the one like I've been a great writer since I learned how to write. Um I remember um, when I was younger, when I get bad notes and report cards from school, sometimes I'll forge my mom's signature. Oh, and <laughs> you wasn't the only one who did that. I, I remember I got my ass beat for doing that once. I right. Like I was so good at it, but when I finally did get caught, my mom was <laughs> my ass. <laughs> and, but then, after so you wait, my- hold on. So you was doing good for a minute. <laughs> yes, for a while. When she finally called me, you were scamming. You were scamming. Scamming, scamming, just like an Atlanta nigga, nigga. (laughs) But uh, no, when she finally did, like it lined up where her and the teacher kind of coordinated their attack on me. My ass did get beat. Not they plan to set you up though. Yeah, because I I got sloppy. (laughs) But um, that's what happens, and we get caught. It does cautionary. (laughs) But um, yeah, she did beat my ass. But a few days later, she. She was starting her, you know, this is the process. You know, my mother was a single black woman raising two boys by herself. She was starting her daycare. Mm-hmm. She was like, well, since you like the four stuff, you about to be drawing up these documents for me and stuff. So I was drawing up my mother's business documents for the state and writing up grants for her and stuff. And I was like in sixth grade. 
And I was very, I was always very good at it. And just, I remember I would write stuff. Like I, I wrote a letter to my pastor for past appreciation. Like I was like seventh grade. It touched him so much. He read it in front of the ter- church and I was a shy child. I was embarrassed by it, but I've just always been a strong writer. Like even in college, I was, people were paying me to write their essays and papers and stuff. Yeah. So writing that's the core gift, but everything else comes out. I think the reason why photography was so natural to me because growing up, like before the age of cell phones and whatnot, we had the disposable cameras. My mom, my dad, my stepdad always kept digital, or not digital, but disposable cameras. I feel like my life has been documented so well because of them. Like I have photos from the time I was born, like my dad in the hospital with like with his whole mask on and everything all the way up until now because of them. Photos were just a thing like my mom modeled for a bit in the 80s. And then my dad used to take photos a lot. He used to have a collage on his wall before he passed. So I see it as a natural evolution for me because in high school, I never thought I would be a photographer. That's beautiful. Um, especially because like me personally, like I I don't have any photos like my dad, like there are like really no photos. I have a few photos of me um, when I was like, I have like a photo of me when I was five or six. And um, if I go back in my, my yearbook, um, but a lot, a lot of things were burnt up in a house fire, unfortunately. And then when my dad passed, a lot of things, it's just so I, I just want to say like I'm just to hear that your parents were intentional about documenting your life as cheesy and corny as this sounds. And I'm sure there are some listeners out there who can relate. Not everybody has that. And when you don't have pictures to look back on who you were. Right. Like, I don't know what kind of therapy we supposed to be in y'all, but I just feel like. That can, for me, it has definitely left left me feeling like I'm missing something. Like there's a piece that I'm yearning to know about. So I, I wanted to say that, and I'm really happy to hear that your parents were intentional about that. And I'm also, I really dig the fact that your mother didn't just like beat you because you were forging signatures and scold you. Your mom actually saw something. She's like, uh-uh. You- <laughs> You you see what I'm saying? Like she actually saw something in you so, and so wanted to use that to help to help you get bigger skills and get some work skills at a young age. And so that's what's up. I really I really fucks with that. I mean, shout out to her resourceful, but she yes. more so like you know she couldn't afford to get nobody else to do it. So it's like my son, mm, we about to do this for my business, and here we are. So I'm thankful for her in that regard. Resourceful. Yes. Okay. So you talked a little bit about um, your childhood and you even, so let's, let's move into the acting part. When did you start acting? Where, where did this influence come from? Um, well, it was in eighth grade. I had a funny, in eighth grade, I thought I was going to, go off to California and be an actor, but that was just like, I thought I was just bullshitting and talking shit. And that quickly disappeared. 
um, the acting thing just kind of came on an accident on accident. Um, started like five years ago and it's just from living here in Atlanta. Like, um, anybody knows that Atlanta is, is, is a bubble. Like when you're in Atlanta, you're just in this universe of just <laughs> unreal shit. <laughs> it's like, um, everybody is somebody or at least trying to get to be somebody. And, you know, I've been a photographer up, up, at this, up until that point of photographer for so many years. Like I had done so many events like nightlife events. I was real big with nightlife photography, like doing events, for example, like Idris Elba and DJ Kid Capri at a New Year's Eve event or taking photos of Eric Badu at CIAA in Charlotte, like things of that nature. So it's like, I felt like I was always adjacent to that world or really in that world, like it all meshes together. Um, doing behind, like I did behind the scenes um, photography on um, a music video with T-Pain and B.O.B. So being in that world, like it's, you, it's easy to kind of cross over to another segment of that world. Um, it was five years ago. My first, I remember my first gig I booked was one of the love and hip hop reunions as an audience member. And it was unpaid. And at that time, five years ago, I was working in healthcare and I think I had a day off and I was just like, well, let me go and do this and see what it's like. And it was filming at Tyler Perry Studios. And I was just so taken aback by all the cussing that they do. Like on TV is bleeped out. But when you hear it in person, it's like, damn, these niggas can cuss. But <laughs> it's like, is cussing. But that was like my first gig. Like it was not, I was just an audience member and you know, we filmed for several hours into the night, and it just amazed me how intricate that was. And I didn't do anything else until like maybe six months later. I worked background on Boomerang on BET Plus. That show, I'm not sure if you're familiar, and it had, it was a yes. scene like Lala Milan and the other actors. Um, the guy, the guy that played Drew from Everybody Hates Chris. And I remember when it came on TV, I was just like, oh, wow, I got all this camera time. Like, and people were hitting me up. And then the next month, I got fired from my job. <laughs> and um, fired. I got fired, nigga. <laughs> what ha- you know? I'm gonna ask you what happened. <laughs> One of my coworkers, she became um, the manager, and the dynamic shifted. Um, I guess I wasn't really all up in her ass like she wanted me to be. Like, mm. I'm not a fake person. Like, I just can't do it. And I got fired. It's it's long story short. But, you know, she was letting people get by with stuff and she wouldn't let me get by with it. So I guess I got fired. But that's okay because that led me here. Exactly. (laughs) I got fired. The next week I was just like, well, let me pick up this gig on um, what was the show on BET Plus where it's Soul Train. Um, I forget the exact. That's crazy. I forgot the name of it. But I worked on that. And I was like, okay, let me do this a little bit more. But there's a whole journey after that. Like I was in and out of in and out of it. But that's really how I got into it. Like just kind of by accident. And I saw it as a way, I still see it as a way to keep myself visible. Um, 
in this world, like just entertainment world in general, and as a segue for everything else I like to do. So with where you are right now in your career and what you've experienced on the set, what you've experienced behind the camera, do you feel, when's the last time you tapped into, I started to bring this up because my mentor, um, Titus Burgess, shout out to him. He asked me this question. When's the last time you checked in on your soul contract? And so do you feel like this is your life's work? Like you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, or is this a step forward towards where you want to go? All the above. Um, Checking in with my soul. I feel like I'm always checked in with it because I know that I am, I'm cosmically aware. I know that I'm not just Jamar sitting on a podcast talking to you today. I am a progression of everyone that came before me and I am setting the trail for everyone that's going to come after me. So with that comes as highs and lows, like, you know, some days, you know, it's my anxiety is off the charts. Other days I'm just fine tuned in concentration and getting to the next step, but I'm always checked in with my soul because I feel like it may sound crazy, but I feel like, you know, I communicate with those before me through the experiences of my mother and my grandmother. Um, I feel a connection to our people in that regard, like everything that they've gone through the miracle that we are here today on this podcast, everything they've gone through, um, civil rights, Jim Crow, reconstruction, slavery, being ripped from your homeland across an ocean and surviving that coming from great tribes in Africa, coming from the first civilizations on earth. I'm a progression of all of that. So yes, I am living my purpose, even on days where I feel like I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I am living my purpose. And I feel like the universe gives me clues every time. Like it'll be something like, I always see the number 766. I'll see it on the license place one day. I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to be here. Or 766 will be the total of my pizza that I get from Domino's. Oh, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be here. Just little clues like that. Or I'll be thinking something and then, you know, it'll come up in conversation with someone like that. The spirit of confirmation. I am flowing. Even when I don't think I'm doing everything right, I know that I'm doing what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing. Let's really get into this role, right? Because in, in what you do as an actor, a background actor, and I'm, and I'm glad that you were specific about that because when I introduced you, I said actor, because you know an actor is an actor. Right. Um, but when you introduce yourself, you let the listeners know specifically that you are a background actor. So let's, let's, let's go there. It's probably obvious to a lot of people or some people listening what a background actor is, but for the record and for the people listening, um, in, in an effort to really uh, describe in full detail, like what you do and who you are, tell the listeners, what is a background actor? What do background actors do? Oh, absolutely. And the reason why I wanted to make note that I said background actors, because for me personally, I haven't taken any acting courses yet. Um, and I'm an artist, so I I don't want to disrespect the craft. Um, there are actors out here who have put in all the time and effort and work into that craft. And I put in my effort as well, but I haven't really taken acting courses yet. 
So I always make note that I'm a background actor. And background actors, um, it's a lot of work. Um, we are every, we are what makes the scene come to life. Um, think about everything that you see on TV or everything that you've ever seen in your life from crowd shots to restaurant scenes to just, you know, scenes in the neighborhood background is what makes it come to life. You know, to the main actors speaking by the mailbox in the neighborhood. I mean, it's going to look really stale if there's no one in the background walking up to their door or getting out of their car or a mailman walking by. Those are background actors. Um, and it's it's not easy all the time. Um, depends on the production. Um, I always tell people that, especially living here in Atlanta, um, you see a lot of people um, see the end result of what I do when they're able to see me on TV and I get some decent camera time. They're like, oh, you're standing by this person or, oh, you're getting that type of action. And those moments are great and rewarding. But I always tell people that it's not, 50% of the time is not glamorous. Um, not all sets are created equal. Um, some sets you're treated like a king and the king and queen that you are. It's other sets, you know, they try to treat you like shit. And I've been doing this long enough, five years, to know that, you know, I don't have to be anywhere I don't want to be, especially if I'm not respected. Um, so, yeah, that's background in a nutshell. We make the scene come to light. Many times we are there long after the main actors have left set to film even more feeling scenes or whatnot. Um, sometimes we're like running and jumping and whatnot. Sometimes we are exposed to the elements. Sometimes we are in really dope scenes where we're in the lap of luxury. Um, it's an extremely versatile job to have. I like the emphasis you put on background actors are what makes the scene. Because immediately I'm thinking to myself, yeah, because a club ain't a club unless it's people dancing. Right. I think of all the things that I've watched, some of my favorite shows, and it's just, it is it is almost important. I mean, you have those scenes where it's just the actor or they have their own monologue or they have a personal moment. Right. Those scenes are very few. You know, I'm thinking about like majority of the stuff that I watch, like background actors are always there. They're always present. And so I'm really glad that you pointed that out. From watching your stories on Instagram, I feel like you've also, you've been um, in the audience on court shows too, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Um, Judge Steve Harvey, the episode that I was in just came on TV last week. Um, the first episode of season two. And I almost forgot I did that because that was filmed last year, like April of last year. Really? Yes. So I got two questions for you. <laughs> you go to Wendy Williams. Well, the second question is more Wendy Williams style. But my first question for you is, are the majority of the people in the audience, are those all actors? Yes, we're all background, um, all background actors. Um, some, I mean, basically we're, they cast for that. When it comes to Judge Stevie, Judge Steve Harvey, we're all casted for that. Um, even like when Wilding Out, like I've done Wilding Out. The, um, the audience for Wilding Out is a mixture of casted people and people who 
paid to be audience members. Okay. Um, so yeah. Oh, right. Because you can get tickets to some of these court shows. Um, you can buy tickets or you can be in the audience or whatever. I think I'm not I've seen sure that. about the court show judge Steve Hart, because I know we were all casted for that, but for while and out, um, you can purchase tickets or even get free tickets to be in the okay. audience of that. Okay. Gotcha. Are those cases real? Um, I, I think, I think I'll say yes and no. I'll say yes, because it's a legitimate dispute, but may not be an actual case. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Like okay. Yeah, because we film like when you when you're on those sets, you film actually multiple cases in a day. So we film like five. So I was so surprised when the episode premiered, and I'm in the last segment, the last case of that episode. I was so surprised that that was the one that got picked to be aired because I remember that being the last case that we filmed on that day. We had filmed like four ahead of that. Oh, so not all of them make it to production i would say yes and then maybe they they will show them at a later date or at a late okay i got you put them yes. in a bag and be like we'll show this one later right okay <laughs> so talk to me about in terms of booking how do you get these gigs are these things that you're going and this is also for folks that are listening who may be aspiring to get into background acting that's why i'm asking um some of these questions too oh, of course so in terms of booking, talk to us about that process. How do you get yourself involved? I, you made it very clear that um, how you got started already being a part of the world helped you, you know, make that transition into background acting. But now that you're fully into it, you said, I think you said five years plus that you've been doing this. How, how do you get your work? Honestly, it's a hustle. Um, I am with, I'm registered with at least five different casting companies and they all have their different flows and orders of how to book with them. Um, I know a really big one, the major one is central casting that I'm with and they have a very seamless process. Um, I applied with them four years ago, over four years ago. And it's one of the better decisions that I've made in my adult life. Um, the process with them was you had to apply online. Um, it was a pretty, pretty lengthy application. And then the second part, I actually had to go into their offices here in downtown Atlanta. And I was there for like an hour and a half where they like take photos of you. And I think they got my measurements. And once that was completed, I just began to receive, I received like, like even now, ironically, got a text from them. I'll receive a text. I get texts and email notifications from them. And then I'll open up the link and it will say, hey, Jamar, are you available for, and then they'll kind of sort of describe um, what they're looking for. Um, and many times this stuff is under code name, so you don't even know what it is until you get on set half the time. Um, and they ask for your availability and you just click yes or no. And then if they book you, you'll get the preceding information about call times or whatnot. That's just central casting. Other casting companies, like you actually have to go to their boards on Facebook and see what they posted and apply, email them and then go from there. So it's a hustle, like literally every day, like even before I got on with you, like I was applying for things and it helps to 
um, kind of get on first name basis with some of the people that handle the casting. Um, I know one of the casting company companies here, Cab Casting. Um, I kind of, well, I won't, I won't say I know them, know them, but I'm familiar with some of the people that handle the casting. So many times if I see them on set, I'd be like, hey, what y'all got going on next week? Yada, yada. Boom. There you go. So it's a hustle. I tell people it's definitely it's a hustle. hustle. Okay. Okay. I'm glad you're here. So that way you can represent for your people and your of industry course. and the things that you're doing. So I'm really glad we're having this conversation. Um, I just have a few more questions for you. This next one goes back to, I told y'all, y'all got to... Um, Y'all, y'all got to follow Rumaji so you can get the good story takes. I was looking at your story, I think, last week or maybe it was the week before. And you were talking about some of the challenges that you face on set and, you know, being a background actor. Even here on this podcast interview, you and I, we've talked about a lot of the beautiful things. Let's talk about the other side, because something you said on your story, you get to some of these sets and some people don't know how to zhuzh you up as a black man they don't know how to deal with your hair they don't know how to deal with your style to just like get you comfortable right for what you're about to do Rumaji, talk to us about some of these challenges that you face as a background actor definitely well ahead of the challenge like i mean it's all different types of people that work on these sets i will say that i mean it's it's definitely a diversity seminar on a brochure. You see all different types of people <laughs> working in hair, makeup, crew, like it's so many different working, moving parts. It's literally a rainbow. That being said, folks don't always know what they're doing. <laughs> like um, wardrobe, like I feel like in my head, I clash with them often because me being a photographer and having worked with actual stylists, like stylists who are currently like running shit in New York and LA stylists who work for um, top brands and whatnot. And that's rubbed off on me. So sometimes the wardrobe people, and that's not all of them. Like I know I've met some dope wardrobe people, but then I've met some not so dope wardrobe people. And many times um, like in the emails or in the bookings, they'll say, well, oh, bring this, that, and the other. And when I first started out, I would bring like half my goddamn closet because it's just like, oh, you know, you want to be prepared and, you know, you want to show up. And then when you get the set, they kind of just look over your shit and be like, OK, well, we're going to feature with this. Nah, I'm not. <laughs> no. So I caught on to that. So what I do, I'll come up if they have a requirement. I'll just come up with one, two looks, one that I'm wearing and then one in my bag. You don't like it get your creative juices flowing and fit me, like get, get me all together, get me all together. Like, cause that's your job. Um, one instance is like, um, I'm just looking back. I don't want to be brief, but I also want to be thorough. Like just sometimes like the wardrobe people, I feel like the wardrobe, sometimes the wardrobe people are lazy. Like baby, do your job. Like if this is a big budget film, like, why are you depending on me and my little rags and I'm bringing the set? Like, you got a whole, like, even, like the Marvel movies, for example, like, they have literally Trillip Studios in Fayetteville, Georgia, south of Atlanta, has an entire warehouse full of clothes. I remember when I, two years ago, was 
um, being fitted for what's the show? Um, She-Hulk. I ended up not working on there, but they fitted me. I was there for half the day. They were fitting me in Armani suits. Um, so it's like, why are you pressing me to bring shit if you got a whole warehouse full of clothes or whatnot? Like, that's your job. Fit me. Like, this is for a movie or this is for a show. Like, I got dope shit, but ultimately it's up to what y'all want me to wear. So I've clashed with some wardrobe people before because I feel like sometimes, you know, things get lost in translation and, you know, you're not going to talk to me any kind of way either. So um, it can be hard, especially as a black man um, coming on the set. I've been told that I look intimidating um, because I have wow. I have resting. Well, I, I have resting nigga face. <laughs> like, so, you know, you're not going to get no emotion on my face unless I have to express it. And, you know, coming on the set, um, making sure that you kind of tone you. I mean, trying to make yourself look or present pal- pal- palpable to other people, mm-hmm. um, even on all Black sets. I mean, it's it's really working background on just these sets. You learn so much about dealing with people hmm. because you have to know how to deal with people. That's in really so many different person. ways. Yeah. So many different ways. Cause you, it's so many different personalities. Yes. Yes. So many working moving parts. I tell people a lot. I say there's a whole universe behind the camera universe. So yeah, I mean, it's living in Atlanta and a lot of people I've seen try to get into what they got into it, but they got into it for the wrong reasons. Like, Oh, I get to be around this celebrity, but oh, I got to be on set for 14 hours. And oh, like I got to be professional. And oh, it's actually not about me because I'm a background actor. Like, why am I coming on set? I'm just speaking from the perspective of people that have this mentality. Like you coming on set with like this grand, grandiose ego. And it's like, baby, like they trying to feel Megan Thee Stallion. Ain't nobody trying to film you in your bodysuit. I mean, you might be on camera, but then you might not. My uh, closing question will my my first to second closing question for you was what what have you learned from all of this how how is all of this going to shape what's next for Rumaji? I've learned that I am more ambitious than I realized. I've also learned that fate is what you make it, and I totally got that from Terminator Two with Sarah Connor, <laughs> but it, it is like. They said it in the movie. She said it in the movie, but fate is what you make it because like you, like you, you're in background and then you can get picked up, spotted by somebody and get elevated to a higher scene or you can connect with other people. Like it's so many working moving parts. Like, um, can I say this? I think I can say this. Two weeks ago, I was working on Bad Boys 4. They're filming Bad Boys 4 currently. And I I can't say this because folks were talking about it on Instagram, like they had a video of Will Smith like out and about in Atlanta somewhere. But I was filming, like I was just casted for like just a regular role. I'll just say a regular, just standard role. But throughout the day, like just I saw another homie that I knew from P Valley on there that we worked together on. And I kind of just stood with him. And then people assumed that I was in his group and then I kind of got placed in a different scene, a more prominent scene. I don't know if that's going to mm. be shown 
you know, we'll see next year. But things like that, like fate is what you make it. At one point, Will Smith dapped me up. Like I would not have gotten that, you know, interaction with him had I kind of just stayed where I was at. Um, you maneuver. I try to be really mindful how I maneuver these sets. Like I, I am professional, but I also am here for myself. I am here to elevate my brand and to get noticed in a sensible, but also spontaneous manner. So it really is fate is what you make it because I've made some dope connections over the years, just keeping that mentality and that mindset. Um, it's okay to bend and break the rules a little bit. That's has been my biggest takeaway from this. I like that. I like that. You, you really filling your space out, right? Really? You want to take, full advantage of this this space that you're in in your career you've right. mentioned you've mentioned bad boys four you've mentioned p valley some amazing shout out to nico i i, I love him who is um, really dope i mean i'm sure he doesn't remember me but he was very <laughs> very um very kind and fun on that set and was very kind to all of us like the background that would talk to him and give us great advice so shout out to him definitely Shout out to Nico. Nico and I have had um, some conversations and I saw him in D.C. a few weeks ago for the I Am Awards weekend. And um, just, just to be embraced by that brother, I, I'm I'm waiting to get some one on one time with him. I'm, I can't I can't wait for that. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yes. Bad Boys. P Valley. What other memorable interactions or opportunities have you had? that you want to mention? I worked on the first Wives Club on the Black version, the one on BET. <laughs> I think it, come, it comes on BET Plus, I think. Um, a little over two years ago, um, I filmed on it for three days, and I knew Jill Scott worked on it, but when we finally got on the set and we got walked to our places and she came out, I was just so starstruck, and I just kind of started humming, is it the way? I was like, I was like, I just had a, a full digger moment, and she just kind of laughed. I'm so, I'm sorry, Jill. Like, you better take it back to the first album. <laughs> like, I think I that's like, the first album. I'm yeah, that sure was. So. I was like, oh, that is Jill Scott, and she was so kind. Her and the other two ladies that are the main cast members, um, because we filmed that one scene for three days, and that was just so dope and you know once you get over the rush of like oh this is like i'm just using an example but i'm speaking into the senses weak just you know once you get over the rush of it being beyonce next to you it's work it's definitely work like because like i said mentioned before it's a whole universe behind the camera so you know between them doing their lines and it's very repetitive i tell people this is repetitive i'm like it's what you see on tv it's a fraction of what we've done. Like, we did that scene like 38 times. Okay. That's what I was wondering. So, these take, we see, they, what we see is like the perfected scene. Like, they've done right. it. This this is the scene that said, okay, we've we've done it 20 times, but this one is the one that we want to put. <laughs> yes. And it could be like, like last month, I, I can't say what I worked on, but I worked on this very big film that's coming out next year for eight days. One scene over eight days, filming over eight days. Eight days? And it's a progression of this one scene. So the scene is probably only going to last maybe 15 minutes. 
but it's a 15 to 20 minutes at best. But it's a progression of that one scene. We filmed for eight days. So how does that, and I know you can't reveal too much. And you really don't have to answer this question. I want to know, and I'm sure that some of the listeners are wondering too, what are the um, logistics that go into a scene taking several days to be filmed? What, what is happening? Like I said, it's so many, it's a whole universe behind the camera. What you all see on TV, like, let's just say, for example, like a back and forth conversation between two main camera characters and, you know, one at one point, like, you know how they go back and forth. That's, they have to keep, they have to turn the cameras around. Like, they have to, they'll get that one person talking and then they'll film that one person talking from so many different angles and then turn the camera around, get the other person and then splice it together. Like they're filming every single angle and they have to switch the lighting on everything. And so, and then blend it all together. So, you know, that's why I, when I see conversations on Twitter, like when people saying like, Oh, this video is so dope. It was all filmed in one take. No, that fucking wasn't filmed in a one take. <laughs> Nothing is ever filmed in one take. Like, no, like, because they- I like to think that that uh, Tanache video, what was it, y'all? I can't even think of it. I like to think that she did that in one take, but maybe maybe she didn't. Ain't nothing filmed in a one take. Nothing. It's impossible. No, it, it is. Unless, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, unless it's another technique, like they're doing a different technique, but I be on sets and it's like, literally like filming different- angles of you and then they may not even use all of that or they may just use something else like they're literally filming different angles different zoom in and different types of cameras they want to get all the possibilities so that way when they go into the studio they can create the story that they want to create and they want to have all the tools there they don't they they don't want to have to say oh well we didn't get that we got to go back to set and record that no we got 50 takes right here. And out of these 50, we're going to make a beautiful five-minute scene. And exactly. it's going to be everything. Okay. I, I, I like the way that you broke that down in that way because it helps me understand. I'm, I'm, I'm sure other people too. <laughs> it's work. Because like, this is work. Yes. It's work. Work. You got to be and you professionalism. Professional. Like, you got to be professional because... How are you not professional? Like you a grown, you a grown ass man or woman doing background and they ask you to be quiet. You can't stop talking, but you standing next to a Will Smith who's a multimillionaire who is, you know, they probably he's his salary is like, you know, 10% of the budget. And you standing next to him and you can't stop talking. Like just perspective. Like it's work, it's a job. Like I've seen a lot of people, they get on, especially living here in Atlanta, this bubble that I live in, you know, people move down here, they they about to rush think it's me. sweet. They they think shit's sweet. And you know, shit is sweet. Actually, it is, but oh. it, it's it's sweet because I don't want to kill nobody's dream. It's sweet, but you don't just be walking up on these sets and thinking like if you can't, I've seen people get walked up off of sets. Um it's a job. You got to be professional. It's not a play. It's not playtime. It's a job. It's professional. It's not playtime. You get on these sets. Do do what you do. What, what's being asked to you? Right. Follow 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 the script. What other advice would you give to anyone listening who wants to follow in your footsteps? Um, if 
for anyone who wants to get into the world of acting, um, and if you if you're not, and I heard Loretta Devine say this, you gotta you gotta go, you gotta move to a place where it's happening. So if you are not in New York, LA, Atlanta, to some degree, Miami, if you're not in those places, you need to get to those places. Although, side note, they are filming something in Philly right now. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. They're so, always filming something in Philly. Yeah, and then I think Philly has, you know, um, that privilege of being just right down the street from New York. So, like, that spillover. And then, y'all, D.C. is not far either. But point is, come you got to get... Come on up to Philly. Come on. Oh, yeah, I got to. I got people up there. Okay. I got I am a little scared because that crime is a fool, but... <sighs> It's a little that's another conversation for another podcast but you can be all right bro I got you. <laughs> but um yeah you got to get to where it's at like get get to the places where there's a wealth of that at because side note i didn't realize like just living here there are people that drive from neighboring states to do these background jobs in atlanta like i remember when i was filming on um what was that brandy show that was on abc abc last year queens one day I was filming and I was like, we were in holding. They call it holding when the background is like seated off to the side, just chilling. Um, and one lady, bless her heart, was complaining to me. I don't know why she was complaining to me, but she was. She just needs somebody to vent to. She's complaining. She's like, well, I haven't been using the scene all day and blah, 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 blah. And I got to get back home. I'm just like thinking to myself, we all got to get back home. She's like, then she told me that she had drove three hours from somewhere in South Carolina. And I just thought that was just so crazy because I live in Metro Atlanta and I live in a close in suburb of Atlanta, but it's still a hassle to get to all of these places. Cause you know, traffic and you know, whatever. Yeah. So I've been coming across people to be like, Oh yeah, I drove from here. I drove from there. And me personally, I don't think it's worth it for just working on one day of filming. I can see if it was like for several days, but if you're just coming here for one day and then you're expected, you're upset because you didn't get camera time, baby, you got to rethink your process. So anybody, you got to move to one of those centers, New York, LA, Atlanta, you got to move to one of those centers. Um, you got to get out into the culture. You got to get out there. Getting out there could be being social. Like you can't be a hermit. Like, I know, mm -hmm. you know, it's a popular yeah. thing. It's, it's popular to say that, oh, you know, I don't go out nowhere. I just go to work and come home. If you want to be in the acting thing, that cannot be you. Like I said earlier, like my segue to this was the fact that I've, I've been outside for years, technically, you know, with the photography. That was my segue into it. Um, so you have to like, you have to be out social or whatnot. Um, you got to have the time to do it. It's very time consuming. Um, with circumstances in my life have led me to be able to basically do this in my photography full time now. That's another story for another podcast, but you got to have the time to do it. Even if you're, um, if you're working like, you know, your standard nine to five, whatever you do, which is dope, um, you got to make some type of time for it. I think I mentioned earlier that I was working in healthcare when I did my first gig and I didn't do anything else until a month before I got fired. And the reason why I took, I think that one job I had, that one gig I did on Boomerang when I was still working was because it was filming on a day that I was actually off. 
So you definitely got to have the time because it's extremely time consuming. You're on set for at least 10 hours. Um, it's a lot it's of a sacrifice. sacrifice. People think it's just a glitz and glamour show. It's a lot of gl- sacrifice. And you, then you begin to understand like why all these big actors are able to can command this type of money because you are literally on set, especially like that eight day shoot I just did last month. Like, that was 12 to 14 hours back to back to back. Every day. Wow. Yes. Bottom yeah. of my feet was red. I'm standing up. But you can do it. I, I encourage you. If you want to do it, if this is your dream, if this is your lane, do it. You got to go all the way in, basically. You can't half-ass it. You got to be all the way in it. That's if, if you're one of those people, and you know what? If you are one of those people that, you know, you're traveling to Atlanta or to New York or LA, you don't particularly live there. Um, if you're traveling traveling in to those places, like trying to keep your foot, one foot in those cities or whatnot, I highly encourage you to make the jump to move to those places because it's going to make life a lot easier for you versus having to travel back and forth. And I get it because as a photographer early in my career, I was traveling when I moved back home for a second in Charlotte. I was traveling back and forth to Atlanta doing shoots. I was doing shoots in Charlotte. I was traveling to DC. You know, sometimes I get it, um, but you eventually have to move to those places because it's not worth the gas. It's not worth the inflation that we all going through. You got to get to these places, these centers of the culture for these these industries. And be around the people that's doing the thing that you want to do. Right. And sometimes it's just showing up to the parties, showing up to right. the bar where the people going to be going, like just being seen. I mean, right. I even feel that way with my podcast being as though my podcast is Philly based, it's important for me to be out in the Philly community. And so, look, I may have to um, come on down to it. I feel like Atlanta, I've been twice, but I haven't really felt Atlanta. So I may need to make a trip and come down and I'm, I'm going to have you show me the city. How about that? Oh, absolutely. Come on down. Yeah. Got to Atlanta is a, um, I love Atlanta and like I, like I said, I'm from Charlotte up the street. Um, Atlanta has always been like home to me. Like even before coming down here for college, Atlanta was a place that we would visit because we had family here. And then I so happened to come here for college and then I've been here all these years. Like Atlanta is a dope spot outside of, you know, I guess the parody version of Atlanta that's presented. Atlanta is a really dope place for our people and our culture if you do it right. This is what I'm talking about. Our people, our culture. I I went to a club when I was there. I said, shit, this is a good time. The music was good. Right. And I went on to the back, down to the back where the pool table was, and they was having plates and shit. I got me a good platter. Okay. I'm like, oh, shit. I like this. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime I'm known as people come down, like my cousins, came down, my cousin and her husband came down last year. Um, they're from a small town in North Carolina. It was their first time here. And it just blew their mind. I just love to see them like taking photos out the car window. Like my cousin was just so mesmerized by, she was like, oh my God, there's so many tall buildings. And then just the places I was taking them to. Like Atlanta is a dope place. Like people don't get discouraged. Like Every city is bad. Atlanta is a dope place. I still get butterflies when I drive down 75, 85 through downtown. Like 
it truly feels like when you're driving that stretch, it feels like you're in the center of the universe. Let me ask you this though, Rumaji. Is Atlanta still black? Is it still controlled by black culture? Um, Atlanta has a prominent black culture, but white people are here. White people have never, that's the thing, white people have never not been here. Um, this is still a city in the South. And like I said, I know Atlanta from a historical standpoint of view. Atlanta, like, it's, we have a very prominent black culture, but white people are very present here. Okay. Um, they are. I don't, I can't speak as an ex- expert in as far as the politics, but I'm like a little baby Malcolm X, from my opinion, especially with everything that we experienced during the pandemic and all that stuff. We don't really truly run shit here. I don't feel like we do. Um, we have, it may be easier for you to get, as a Black person, to come down here and thrive professionally and politically, but I just feel like in the grand scheme of America, you know, yeah, we've had a Black mayor for almost 50 years now, but the governor is still a white Republican. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like in the grand scheme of America, you yeah. know, we ain't really running it, but it is right now the seat of our Black culture. Thank you, Ramaji. Um before you leave, tell us what's next for you and how can we support? Um, my cash up is <laughs> nah, that was <laughs> hey, look. <laughs> no, nah, I, I gotta I gotta delete cash out because that's for the scammers. Like I'm on Apple Pay <laughs> and Zelle. I was about to say Zelle. Yeah, yeah, me too. Zelle, you get your money right then. No, no type of fees. What's next for Ramaji? Ramaji is going to start taking acting classes to stop being scared, fear. Um, I'll admit I let fear hold me back on a lot of things. I could probably be, be, I can probably be doing more now if I just wasn't such a bitch about things in the past. I'm going to start taking acting courses. I want to get back into doing photography heavily because I, I'm still a photographer, but I don't do it as much. And I really want to get back into the nightlife celebrity photography scene because I used to do it so heavy and it's just over time like things happen circumstances I want to get reconnected back into that scene like I got to hit up some of my connections like hey you know get me back in I really want to get back into that um so getting back into that heavily um and also taking acting courses and getting some speaking roles because I used to be kind of ashamed to admit that yeah I want to get speaking roles and actually be an actor, but I've been doing this long enough. You know, I might as well push the pedal to the metal and go full on with this. Like I'm adjacent to so many people. I'm adjacent to really dope people that do dope shit. And I've been around, I feel like I've been around like all these people. I've had conversations with dope people. Like you mentioned Nico and, you know, people who are actually doing it. Like I want to do it. Like, my one of my dreams is like I really want to play a really thugged out role, kind of like how Lorenz Tate played in Minister Society. Okay. I want to play some shit like that, like just really just you know a maniacal hood nigga. Like I, I really want to play a role like that. Just one of my dreams. So that's what's next for Jamar, and to continue to develop as the cosmically aware black man that I am. God damn! Can you say that again? 
the cosmically aware black man that I am to co continue to develop as that because I'm a progression. Like I'm, I'm my father's and my mother's hopes and dreams. Like every time I send my mother like a clip of me or she'll see me, like she's just so proud. And I'm like, wow, like I'm a progression of their hopes and dreams. So I got to keep going. And you keep that with you. And I'm sure that helps fuel your purpose, your passion for the things that you're doing. Yo, this was just so dope. Thank you, Rumaji. Thank, Thank you for you. dialing in. This is my first little podcast thing, so I appreciate it. Oh, y'all heard that little country? Y'all, <laughs> y'all picked up on that because I've been I picking prefer up on southern. It. I prefer southern. Southern, okay, southern, southern accent, not, not country. All right, hey, look, ain't nothing wrong with country. I'm from Charlotte. Ask about us, East Side. I'm from Southern Maryland, so I country is cool with me for real. Um, Hunger family, thank you for listening. This is Rumaji. Of course, like I said in the beginning, I will drop his contact information in the episode notes so that way you know where to find him. This has been another episode of the Hunger Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all platforms, social media, and podcast by searching at Hunger Pod. That's H U N G U P P O D. Until next time, peace, y'all. Peace. Oh, yeah.